all you have. You are now tuned in to Marcus Rays. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Hey there, Galaxy Crew. It's your pal Kyle, welcoming you from light years away. Buckle up, because you have just tapped into the galaxy's most dynamic Star Wars broadcast, Star Wars Audio Archives. Now, if you thought the last episode was Supernova, brace yourself. Episode 10 is a turbocharged with energy so intense, you'll feel like you're riding a ranker through the Death Star. Got your drink of choice? Perfect. Settle in and prepare for a deep dive into Star Wars Annihilation. The knife wound on Tefeth's shoulder barely bothered her as she worked the Prosperity's controls, bringing the shuttle out of hyperspace just beyond the mass shadow cast by Coruscant's gravity well. The capital world of the Republic loomed before her in all its glory, a city world with almost a trillion people on the surface. The four moons orbiting the planet were almost lost among the artificial satellites swirling around it. Massive mirror stations collected and redirected light and heat from Coruscant's sun to the poles, transforming every square centimeter of the surface into livable land. Ponderous habitation spheres slowly circled the world, swelling the official population by another hundred billion. And giant space stations directed the endless stream of thousands of ships arriving and departing. Tefith just stared out the window of the cockpit. It had been almost two years since she'd last been here, not since her first run-in with Theron. She'd forgotten how overwhelming the galaxy's most densely populated planet could be when seen from above. The incessant beep of the shuttle's comlink finally snapped her out of her fog, and she reached out to open the channel. Prosperity, do you read? This is Coruscant Flight Control 473. Prosperity, please acknowledge. This is Prosperity, Tefeth answered. Realizing the shuttle's autotransponder must have transmitted the registration directly to the nearest space station for clearance upon her arrival. What's wrong? Been trying to hail you for almost two full minutes. Might want to check your comm equipment. Roger, Tefeth replied, not certain what else to say. She knew how to smuggle a ship onto Coruscant, but she had no idea what the protocols were for a legal landing on the surface. You looking for surface clearance? The man asked her after a few seconds of silence. Roger, Tefeth agreed. Another few seconds passed before the man asked, Do you have your destination? He was clearly getting annoyed. The Jedi, Tefeth blurted out. Grandmaster Satil. There was a long pause on the other end before the man replied. You are cleared for landing at Diplomatic Spaceport 27B. Transmitting coordinates now. Roger. Tefeth said again. Over and out. Relieved to put an end to the awkward conversation, Tefeth turned the ship over to the autopilot, allowing it to chart its own course down to the surface. She was surprised she didn't have to wait in some kind of queue or touch down at one of the orbital space stations for some kind of verification before landing. But then she remembered whose shuttle she was flying, and she realized she had probably been given some kind of special priority service. The shuttle plunged down into Coruscant's atmosphere, the autopilot falling into the nearest officially designated flight path as it sped her rapidly to the surface. The ship rattled slightly as it came in, a result of the damage it had sustained crashing through the doors of the hangar during her escape from Jigani port. But Tefeth barely noticed. 
her attention focused on the unimaginable crush of buildings, speeders, and people on the surface. Coruscant truly was a wonder of the galaxy. There were other worlds with endless cityscapes, like the hot-controlled moon of Nar Shaddaa, but none of them rivaled the Republic capital. The tallest, grandest buildings on the hot world would have been dwarfed by even the smallest of Coruscant's sky towers. The general feel of Nar Shaddaa was one of claustrophobia, cramped and crowded. The effect of Coruscant was almost the exact opposite. The towers reaching up forever into the sky, and the endless streams of traffic stretching off to disappear over the horizon made the world appear even larger and grander than it actually was. The autopilot chimed softly, indicating she was nearing her destination. Tefeth switched over to manual control when she saw the spaceport below her. She didn't trust autopilots to bring a ship down smoothly at the best of times, and she feared the prosperity's damaged hull might throw its precisely calibrated systems off. Diplomatic Spaceport 27B was an arrangement of half a dozen circular landing pads in a circle atop a very large, flat-roofed building. In the center of the landing pads was a small structure the Tefeth guest housed a turbo lift leading to the building's interior, along with a handful of security personnel. A pair of small airspeeders were parked in one corner of the room, with enough space to accommodate several more. The shuttle touched down with a slight thump, and Tefeth killed the engines. She saw two men in official-looking uniforms, one carrying a blaster rifle, the other armed with a pistol, striding out of the central structure toward her vessel confirming that at least half of her hypothesis was right. Just like Gorvich said, coming to arrest us. She briefly considered firing up the shuttle again and taking off, but she'd come too far to turn back now. Hopefully the guards would be willing to listen to reason. As she came down the boarding ramp, the two men were waiting patiently. She took it as a good sign that neither one had bothered to ready his weapon yet. Miss, is there anyone else on your shuttle? the one with the pistol asked. Tefeth shook her head. She could see the guards exchange a knowing glance and saw their muscles tense up slightly. Is this your shuttle, miss? The second wanted to know. Not ours. Belongs to Jedi, Nostoral. And where is Master Nostoral, miss? Had the guards tried to bully or intimidate her, she would have had no trouble dealing with them. But she found this unrelenting politeness with its thinly veiled undercurrent of suspicion strangely alarming. Mr. Roll not here. Give shuttle to us. We have urgent message for Grandmaster Satil Shan. Who's we, miss? The one with the pistol asked. I thought you said you were alone. Tefeth rolled her eyes. We is me. Nobody else. Just me. She put an unduly heavy emphasis on the final pronoun. Do you have any identification, miss? We... Uh, I... Got no time for stupid questions! She snapped, her composure finally slipping. Got to see Grandmaster Shen right now! The guards looked at each other, then back at her. If you have a message for her, you can give it to us. We'll make sure she gets it. Tefeth shook her head. Got to be in person! Now! The guards must have exchanged some kind of unspoken signal because suddenly they both had their weapons trained on her. Miss, please remove your blaster and set it on the ground. Slowly. Tefeth did as instructed. Miss, you need to come with us. We go with you, Tefeth said, trying to sound calm instead of like some raving lunatic. 
But you send message to Grandmaster Shen. Tell her Theron sent us. While the guard with the blaster rifle kept his weapon pointed at her, the other holstered his pistol and came over to collect her weapon from the ground. Then he gave her a quick pat down, careful to avoid the wound on her shoulder. To her surprise, he didn't slap a pair of stun cuffs on her, only took her by the elbow and led her inside the small structure in the middle of the spaceport, his partner following behind with his weapon still at the ready. It was clear they didn't trust her, but since she'd arrived in a Jedi Master's shuttle, they were hesitant to treat her like a common criminal. As Tepeth suspected, there was a turbolift at the rear of the structure, along with two chairs and a hollow terminal. The only door was the one they had just entered, though there were two small windows on each of the sidewalls. Sit down, miss, the guard at her elbow said. Still hoping she could reason with them, she did as instructed. Send a message to Grandmaster Shan, she reminded him. You promised us. Just try to remain calm, miss. We'll get this sorted out. Nothing to sort, she said, rising up from her chair. Call Shan! The guard with the blaster rifle took a step back, weapon raised as the other came forward and grabbed her elbow again. We'll put her a question through the proper channels, he said, hoping to calm her while trying to guide her back into the chair. Just sit down and relax. Someone is on the way. Tefeth let her shoulders slump and bowed her head as she started to lower herself into her seat. Thinking she was resigned to her fate, the guard at her elbow relaxed his grip. Instead of sitting down, Tefeth spun free, yanking the pistol from his holster with one hand as she slid around behind him, using his body to shield her from the guard with the blaster rifle. At the same time, she grabbed his wrist with her other hand, twisting his arm up and behind his back while jamming the pistol against the side of his neck. It happened in the blink of an eye. The other guard didn't even have time to cry out in surprise before Tefeth had his partner at her mercy. Let him go, he said, raising his blaster rifle. Tefeth twisted her human shield's arm up even farther behind him. He grunted in pain as she peered at the other man from over his shoulder. You go outside, close the door. Come back in, friend dies. The guard hesitated, and Tefeth pressed her pistol even harder into her captive's neck. Listen to her, he pleaded. Do what she says. Keeping his weapon high, the other guard slowly backed up until he was outside the small building. He waited a moment, then ducked to the side and out of Tepeth's line of fire. She braced, fearing he would pop back around the corner to take a shot at her. But instead, the door slid shut as he hit the access panel on the outer wall. Tepeth shoved her captive in the back, sending him stumbling away from her. She raised the blaster and fired, frying the panel by the turbo lift and causing the man to let out a sharp yelp as he dropped to the ground. Backing away to the far corner of the room, Tepeth said, Get up! You solo! Call Grandmaster Shen! I... I don't know how to reach her, he said. I don't have that kind of authority. Call your boss! Call boss's boss! Get Shen in the hollow or you die! Okay, he said, getting to his feet. Okay, I'll try. Tepeth had no idea if her plan would work. She knew in the Empire they'd rather let a hostage die than disturb a Sith Lord with this kind of request. She hoped things were different in the Republic. In the five minutes it took the guard to run his request up a chain of superiors, explaining his situation each time, three speeders came in to land on the roof outside, each carrying four more armed security personnel. Tepeth kept one eye on the guard at the hollow, while the other darted back and forth to the windows at the gathering array of firepower wondering how long she had 
until they tried to storm the building. Just as she was about to give up hope of ending this without bloodshed, the man at the hollow said, I got her! She's here! Tefeth glanced over to see a woman's face on the hollow. She had no idea what Grandmaster Shan looked like, though she thought she could see a faint resemblance in the face to Theron. In the corner, she said, motioning with the gun. Face down. You move, I shoot. There's no need for violence, the woman on the hollow said as the guard complied with her instructions. Let's try to stay calm. Try that, Tefeth told her, keeping the weapon trained on the guard in the corner. Nobody listens. Violence only way to get results. I'm here now. I'm listening. You Grandmaster Satya Shan? I am. Message from Theron. Needs your help. Sends me to tell you. From the expression on the woman's face, Tefeth knew Satil was who she claimed to be. She also knew Satil had no doubt that she was telling the truth. What happened? What's wrong? Not here, Tefeth said, shaking her head. Too many ears. Somewhere private. Do you want to come to me, or should I come to you? Tefeth glanced out the window to see more than twenty armed guards waiting on the roof outside. You come here. We're not going anywhere. Thirty seconds after ending her hollow call with Satil, Tefeth saw the guards outside pulling back and lowering their weapons, though none of them left. Five minutes later, another airspeeder touched down, this one carrying a single figure in a brown robe. Ignoring the armed guards, she jumped from her speeder and walked quickly toward where Tefeth was holed up. As she drew closer, the Twi'lek recognized her as the woman from the hollow call. She paused at the door. It's Grandmaster Satil Shan, she said. Get up, Tefeth said to the man still lying on the ground. Open the door. He did as instructed. Satil glanced from the guard to Tefeth, then back to the guard before stepping inside. Go, she said to the guard. And take the rest of your CSF rounds with you. This is Jedi business. The man looked back at Tefeth, then bolted for freedom when she nodded. Satil closed the door behind him, sealing the two of them alone in the room. You don't need that pistol anymore, she said. Tefeth glanced down at her hand, surprised to realize she was still holding the blaster. She quickly set it on the chair beside her. You said Theron sent you, the Jedi said. He needs my help. Nosdural, too. Try to tell guards. We don't listen. Tell me everything, Satil said, starting with your name. Theron popped the salt tablet and downed the last of the water from his second ration kit, hoping it would be enough to keep his body hydrated and his muscles from cramping for a few more hours in the sweltering engine room. He was nearly finished mapping the Ascendant Spear's control systems. He only had a handful of relays left to go. And as he had become more and more familiar with the systems, he started writing pre-programmed subroutines to disrupt the ship's operations. One to disable the hyperdrive, another to take down the shields, a third to throw off the targeting systems of the laser cannons. He saved each subroutine as he created it in his cybernetic implant, storing them electronically for later reference, much the way he might memorize a list of names or numbers using his organic memory. Later, he'd be able to call them up and deploy them in rapid succession against Carrot and her ship, giving the Republic fleet a fighting chance when they faced off against the spear over Duro. There was just one problem with his plan. So far, he had heard nothing about the spear making preparations to go to Duro. 
Master Nosteral had assured Theron he'd convince Carrot to go there, but Theron had no way to know if his friend was alive or dead. He'd been listening to the commands issued to and from the vessel's bridge ever since he'd sliced into the comm channels, but so far he hadn't heard a word about the Jedi, and the only orders Carrot had given the spear were to stay out in deep space until they knew more about the feigned attack on Reaver Station. His slicer spike pinged, notifying him that it had finished mapping the current relay. Theron disconnected it and scanned the data. The information transmitted wirelessly from the spike to the implant in his left eye, superimposing the image over his normal vision. He recognized a familiar pattern from a previous relay, one that indicated a holding cell, complete with security cams providing live images. The previous cell Theron had stumbled across had been empty. He tapped into the cams, hoping to see Nosterol, only to be faced with an empty room. He hadn't thought to look for another holding cell, however. Reattaching the slicer spike to the relay, he established a connection with the security cams, projecting the image onto his visual overlay. This time, he found what he was looking for. Nosterol was alive, strapped to some kind of table. His robe and most of his clothes had been stripped away. Even on the low-quality image, there was no mistaking the Keldor's exposed body. Theron carefully used his link with the cam to have it pan slowly around the room. The Jedi was not alone. In addition to a pair of Imperial soldiers, there was also a female Sith pureblood in the room, watching over him. From her black robes and facial tattoos, it wasn't hard to assume she was a follower of the dark side. She was probably Darth Carrot's apprentice, tasked with making sure the prisoner didn't escape. Moving the cam back to its original position, Theron cut the feed. He had no idea if the Sith would be able to sense him spying on them through the Force, but he didn't want to take any chances. Besides, he'd seen all he needed to see. His mind quickly ran through his options. He could try to help the Jedi escape, but was that what Nosterol wanted? He told Theron he was going to convince Darth Karad to go to Duro, was getting captured part of the plan? Did he know his former Padawan well enough to think he could manipulate her into going to Duro by allowing her to interrogate him? It was a tactic SIS had used in the past, though the success rate wasn't high. Sometimes the targets saw through the ruse and refused to take the bait. Other times they simply killed their prisoner before the false information could be fed to them. There was no way to know if getting caught was actually a calculated gamble by his partner or if something had simply gone terribly wrong with his original plan. But if something had gone wrong, Theron realized there wasn't much he could do to help. He might be able to overpower the guards, or the Sith, individually, but he doubted he could handle all of them together. And even if he did, breaking Nosteral from his prison would only alert Karad that her old master wasn't the only one who had infiltrated the spear. The entire ship would go into lockdown until they were both found. Most important of all, Rescuing Nosteral did nothing to address the problem of getting the spear to Duro in the next 12 hours. If getting captured was part of his plan, rescuing him would ruin everything. If it wasn't, they were doomed anyway. Hard as it was, Theron had to leave Nosteral in enemy hands, trusting that his partner knew what he was doing. Trying not to think about what the Imperials would do to the Keldor, he returned to his work, attaching the slicer spike to the next relay but it was impossible to push the Jedi completely from his mind. If Nosteral was going to do something to deliver Carid and the Spear into the hands of the Republic, he had to do it soon. 
time was running out. This time, Nostral's torment was cold. Not the cold of bitter wind or a frozen world, but the black chill of the grave. He could feel his flesh rot and decay, his skin growing taut, his bones becoming hollow and brittle before crumbling into dust. When the suffering abruptly and mercifully ended, Nostral's mind teetered on the brink of madness, shattered by hours upon hours of unspeakable torments. Even as he sought refuge in an ocean of dementia and delusion, some small part of him fought to cling to the last threads of his sanity. Had the Sith ordered another immediate bout of torture, he would have succumbed, sinking into the depths of lunacy. Instead, she commanded the interrogators to halt, perhaps sensing how close he was to being lost forever and knowing the punishments Darth Carrot would inflict if she failed to uncover his secrets. Are you ready to talk now, Jedi? She asked, still struggling to sort reality from the crazed pain hallucinations creeping around the edges of his mind. Nostaral could only whisper, No more. No more. You can end this, the Sith told him. Tell Darth Carrot what she wants to know, and your suffering will be over. I will talk. No more. I will talk. No more. I will talk. No more. Turning away from the babbling Keldor, the apprentice said, Inform Darth Carrot that the prisoner is ready for her. By the time Darth Carrot arrived a few minutes later, Nostaral had regained much of his composure, though he was careful to keep playing the part of a broken victim. Given his current state, it was an easy role to slip into. No more. I will talk. He mumbled as he heard Karen's familiar footsteps approach. I will talk. I told you I would break you. The falling whispered in his ear. Now that you have tested the power of the dark side, you can understand why I left the Jedi to follow Malgus. I will talk. No more. I will talk. Why did you come aboard my vessel? Why face me and my apprentices? Why enter a battle you knew you couldn't win? A distraction. Keep you away. Away? Away from what? Duro. The attack on Duro. How do you know about that? Though blind without his protective goggles, he knew Carrot was watching him closely, studying him, analyzing his words to see if he was lying. The best way to keep her from recognizing his deception was to blend fact and fiction, seed his lies with bits of truth. The Black Cipher. We cracked the codes. He could sense Karen suddenly stand up straight, shocked by the news. That's how we found you. We intercepted a message that you were going to Reaver Station. How long have you had this cipher? She demanded, crouching down beside him again. Since I asked. He didn't need to say any more for her to know what he was talking about. And the less he said, the harder it would be for her to get a read on him. You came to the station. You attacked me on my ship. You staged a false Republic invasion fleet. All to make sure we didn't go to Doro? We were afraid of you. 
The Republic is setting an ambush at Duro. But we can't spare enough ships to bring down the spear. You would turn the battle against us. My ship was never part of the fleet heading to Duro, Carrot said, and he heard the suspicion in her voice. You are on the Dark Council. You choose your own path. Nostoral explained, remembering how headstrong she had been as his Padawan, as he played even further to her pride. We feared you would defy the will of the Minister of War, and come to Doro to claim your share of the glory. Then why are you telling me this now? Are you hoping I will show you mercy? Nostoral tried to laugh, but all that came out was a hollow, haunted rasping of breath. <laughs> My plan worked. <laughs> it's too late. We're too far away. You'll never get to Duro in time for the battle. Now it was Carrot's turn to laugh. <laughs> You're wrong, Master. You have no idea how fast my ship really is. When the Republic spring their trap at Duro, we will be there. Carrot stood up and headed for the door. Watch him. No more torture. I want him alive and sane, so he can witness our destruction of Doro and the Republic fleet. Should we send a message to warn Moff Nezer about the ambush? Her apprentice asked. The Republic has broken his cipher codes, Carrot snapped. Sending the message now will only let them know we're coming. They might even abandon their plan. Better to sacrifice a few of our own ships than to let the Republic fleet escape. Forgive me, Master, the apprentice replied. There is so much I still have to learn. Tell Moff Lorman to set the course for Duro. Maximum speed, she ordered before leaving the room. I've done all I can, Theron, the old Jedi thought. Now, it's up to you. Deep in the bowels of the engine room... Theron finally heard the orders he'd been waiting for coming from the bridge. Set a course for Duro! A klaxon rang out three times across the ship, the signal for the crew to prepare for the jump to hyperspace. A moment later, the hyperdrive core began to howl as it ramped up to full power. He did it. Somehow Master Nostarol did it. Theron redoubled his efforts, knowing he had to finish mapping the relays if the ambush was going to stand any chance of taking down the Ascendant Spear. Assuming there actually was an ambush. Nostaral had done his job, and Theron was busy doing his, but none of it would matter if Tefeth and Satil couldn't convince Jace to send a Republic fleet to Duro. No! Jace said slamming his fist down on the back of the couch he was standing by. This is insane. Satil's call had woken him in the middle of the night. When she told him she was coming over right away to see him, he'd still been too bleary from the shots he'd shared with Marcus earlier to ask any questions or protest. Not that he would have refused a request. He and Satil had spoken many times since she'd ended their relationship. Given their respective roles in the Republic and the Jedi Order, it was inevitable. But their meetings had always been official, held in offices or meeting rooms. She'd never come to his apartment before, so he knew whatever business she had was urgent. 
the Grand Master of the Jedi Order was not a woman prone to overreaction. By the time she'd shown up at his door, Jace's mind was right enough to guess what this was about. Somehow she'd found out about Theron, the Spear, and the impending attack on Duro that was now less than ten hours away. He expected she would try to talk him out of his plan. What he hadn't expected was the scruffy-looking Twilix street thug who accompanied the Grand Master, nor the wild story she told. Do you know how many laws and regulations Theron violated by roping you into this? He shouted at her. Satil and the Twilik were standing side by side in the middle of his living room, a united front opposing him. Theron could be court-martialed, Jace continued, stepping around from behind the couch and moving toward them as his voice got louder and louder. Arrested! This is bordering on treason! You shout at him, not me! Tefeth snapped back, holding her ground and refusing to be intimidated by his bluster. None of that matters now, Satil told him. Theron and Master Nostaral will bring the Ascendant Spear to Duro. You need to be there waiting for them. You don't know that, Jace said. You just met this Twilik. For all we know, she's an Imperial agent leading us into some kind of trap. I can sense the truth in her words, Satil assured him. Jace snorted. <laughs> and you couldn't possibly be wrong because no Jedi in history has ever been betrayed by someone close to them. You Jedi may see more than the rest of us, but you don't see nearly as much as you think. Sometimes we're blind when it comes to those close to us, Satil admitted. But I'm right about this, she added with the resolute calm Jace had found so infuriating when they were together. We can trust Tefeth. Even if she's on our side... We still don't know if the Spear will actually show up at Duro. She can't even tell us what Theron and Nostaral were planning. Was no plan, Tefeth explained. Making it up as they go. That's even worse, Jace shouted, turning away from them to stalk around the living room. You can't just improvise your way through something like this. Don't underestimate Master Nostaral, Satil cautioned. Darth Carrot was his apprentice for many years. He knows her mind and personality better than she does. Then why didn't he know she was going to defect to the Sith? Jace challenged. We knew the risk, but we decided it was worth it to get someone close to Malgus, Satil said. Nostaral will find a way to make Darth Carrot bring the spear to Duro. I wish I had your confidence, Jace said, shaking his head. But even if he does get her to send the spear, we can't face it at full power. Theron was supposed to sabotage the ship, but we have no idea what he's done. Even if he manages to plant the virus in the Spears' systems, we don't have any way to activate it without knowing what frequency to transmit the code on. Theron will find a way, Satil assured him. Maybe he'll trigger the virus himself. And maybe he won't. If I send a fleet to Duro and the spear shows up at full power, we'll be slaughtered along with the civilians on the planet. Send two fleets, Tefeth blurted. Send five. Send ten. Even the spear can't win then. We don't have enough ships in the sector, Chase said. And even if we did, sending orders to have everyone converge on Duro at the same time would tip the Empire off. They'd know we were there, and they'd call off the attack. At least Duro would be spared, Satil chimed in. Duro is irrelevant, Jace said. 
This is about stopping the spear. It's about winning the war. The Republic doesn't win if we don't protect our people, Satil told him. We are not the Empire. You used to understand the difference. Jace bristled at her words. Is that why you left me? Is that why you didn't tell me Theron was our son? He heard a slight gasp from Teveth as she reacted to the revelation. But he ignored the Twi'lek, his attention focused on Grandmaster Shan. I saw the war change you, Satil said. I saw you heading down a path I could not follow. I tried to help you, but I realized I was only being dragged down with you. So you abandoned me. I thought our feelings for each other were making things worse. I was afraid that if you knew you had a son, your desire to protect him at any cost would take you even farther down that dark path. Is that how you really see me? Jace asked. As some kind of monster? Satil shook her head. I don't always agree with your decisions, but I know you are a good man. Hate and anger are a part of you, but they have not consumed you. The Jedi sighed. I used to believe that that was because of what I had done. Turning away from you, hiding your son from you. I used to tell myself these actions saved you from yourself. And what do you think now? Satil hesitated, her eyes shifting to the floor momentarily as if she couldn't bear to meet Jace's gaze. Is she ashamed? Jace wondered. Now, I do not know, she said. She looked up at him again, struggling to maintain the reserve appropriate for a Jedi Grand Master. But Jace knew her well enough to see what was beneath her stoic mask. Regret. Uncertainty. Self-doubt. Maybe I was wrong to hide Theron from you. Maybe I made things worse. There was a long silence, finally broken by Tefeth. Jedi Grandmaster Mom? Supreme Commander Dad? Now we get why Theron is so messed up. So you're sending a fleet or what? When Jace didn't answer, Satil spoke up. You can't let Duro be sacked, she told him. I know you, Jace. You'll never be able to live with yourself. It will destroy you. It's worth it if holding back our fleet means we still have a chance to take down the spear, he said stubbornly. If you send the fleet and the Ascendant Spear isn't there, you save Duro, Satil said, trying to reason with him. If you don't send a fleet and Carrot is there, then you lose both Duro and your best chance of taking down the spear. Easy choice, Tefeth agreed. You're forgetting the third option, Chase told them. We send a fleet. The spear is there, but Theron fails in his mission. Then we lose everything. Our chance at the spear, Duro, and our fleet. You're asking me to risk all this on blind faith that Theron will succeed. The Supreme Commander doesn't have the luxury of blind faith. It's not blind faith, Satil assured him. It's faith in Theron. Faith in our son. Jace stared down at the floor clenching and unclenching his hands. He knew what he wanted to do, but this was the most important decision he'd ever make. He couldn't afford to be wrong. I don't suppose you've had some kind of vision, he said to Satil. Something telling us what we should do? The Force has not shown me what will happen, Satil admitted. The future is always in motion. Could have just lied, 
Tifeth mumbled. Trust your heart, Satil told him. Not a very Jedi thing to say, Jace said. You're not a Jedi, she reminded him. The Supreme Commander took a deep breath, then slowly let it out. He'd been fighting the Sith for 40 years, fighting for the Republic, fighting for the men and women who went into battle beside him, fighting for the future of the entire galaxy. But now that he knew he had a son, he had something else worth fighting for. Theron was counting on him, and he wasn't going to let him down. I'll send the fleet, he said. Now get out of my apartment so I can change. I need to be on my flagship within the hour or we won't get there in time. You leading the fleet? Tefeth asked, clearly surprised. If Darth Kara doesn't show, then Chancellor Suresh is going to demand my resignation for botching this mission anyway. Might as well go out in a blaze of glory. I'm coming too, Satil declared. Forget it, Chase replied. We're not risking both the Supreme Commander and the Grand Master of the Jedi Order on the same mission. We serve the Republic, she reminded him. And this mission is critical to the war effort. If there's even a chance I could help, I need to be there. And the Order is strong enough to survive my loss if something happens, she assured him. Just as the military can survive yours. Good luck, Tefeth said. You're coming too, Jace told her. What? Why yes? I'm risking everything on your story, but I'm still the Supreme Commander of the Republic military. I still have responsibilities. If it turns out you're actually an Imperial spy setting us up, letting you go would make things even worse. So I'm not letting you out of my sight until all this is over. Just in case. Theron better mess up the spear real good, Tefek grumbled. Don't want to get blown to bits. You're not the only one, Jace agreed. The howling of the hyperdrive made it hard to concentrate, but Theron was still able to tap into the spear's navigation systems to get a sense of where they were. At first, he thought there was no way they'd get to Duro in time, but the ship was moving at speeds he was having trouble believing. He checked and double-checked the data, wondering if there was an error somewhere. He studied the hyperdrive systems, and it shouldn't have been possible for them to be moving this fast. Not without some external power source boosting the system. Darth Carrot. Tracking their progress backward, he realized the ship's velocity had jumped when the systems for her personal command pod engaged. The engines were actually drawing more power from her. The symbiotic link between Sith and ship, channeling dark side energies through Carrot to augment the spear's abilities. With a sinking feeling, he realized that even with all the time he'd spent mapping the networks and studying the ship, he still didn't have any real concept of the Ascendant Spear's full potential. Darth Carrot's ship might be too formidable a foe for the Republic fleet. Theron hoped the Republic's chance for victory wasn't already lost. Encased within the crystal sphere of her command pod, Darth Carrot could feel the power of the Ascendant Spear coursing through the wires attached to the implants in her neck, face, and skull. The wires twitched and twisted like they were alive, pulsing with energy and matching the rhythm of her racing heart as it sent blood rushing through her veins. Her excitement was more than the anticipation of the coming battle. 
guiding the ship through the extra-dimensional landscape of hyperspace was exhilarating, a thrill beyond any other mental or physical pleasure. She had transcended her shell of flesh and bone, becoming one with the Ascendant Spear. As planets and stars flew past her on all sides, sensed rather than seen, vanishing from her awareness in seconds as they were left trillions of kilometers behind her. She could feel the presence of her apprentice and his two new companions outside the confines of the pod as she fed off them to enhance and augment her connection to the dark side and to the ship. Yet she realized that eager as she was to get to Duro, she had to pace herself. Her second apprentice was still watching guard over Nostaral, and though Lord Kaux and Lord Ordiz were strong, they were still not used to the unique strain of supporting her while she controlled the spear. She had to be careful not to exhaust them before the battle. The ship slowed ever so slightly in response to her unspoken directive, allowing her to conserve her strength as they continued to hurtle to their destination. Moff Nezer, commander of the Imperial capital ship Extempus, relished the moments before leading his fleet into battle. The attack on the Agri-World Ruan had been a glorious victory, but it would pale compared with the devastation he planned to unleash against Duro. As with the previous attack on an unsuspecting, lightly defended Republic world, the plan was elegant in its simplicity. Hit the Duro shipyards to cripple production, bombard the orbiting cities to inflict maximum damage and casualties, then retreat before Republic reinforcements in the sector could respond to the threat. Nezer approved of this recent shift in Imperial tactics. While some, like Davidge, the prissy Minister of Logistics, might argue that the Empire gained little tangible benefit from an attack on Duro, the Grand Moff understood the psychological value of striking soft targets with the primary purpose of massacre and mayhem. And personally, he much preferred an unopposed run against a heavily populated civilian world to a lengthy engagement against Republic defenders over a resource-rich planet with high long-term strategic value. Two minutes to Duro, Moff Nezer. Ready a general comm channel, Nezer commanded eager to begin issuing orders to direct his fleet's assault the instant they dropped from hyperspace. Aye, aye, sir. A smile crept across Nezer's thin, cracked lips. He felt the familiar surge of deceleration, and the starfield outside the bridge's viewing window transformed from solid white to the starfield of real space. They arrived on the edges of the Duro system, far enough from the sun's gravity well, but still only a few minutes from the world itself. But instead of seeing the eponymous planet and its orbiting cities in the distance, helpless and at their mercy, Moff Nezer found himself facing an entire Republic fleet stretched out before him, arrayed for battle. Impossible, he thought, shouting out, full shields, even as the enemy opened fire. Chase Malcolm kept his eyes carefully focused on the battle monitors on board the bridge of the Aegis in the moments before the battle began. From the intercepted cipher transmissions, he knew the Empire was sending a fleet designed for a cowardly hit-and-run assault. Moff Nezer's capital ship, Extempus, a Delta-class carrier with a full complement of two dozen interceptors, two dreadnoughts, and three destroyers. On the Republic side, Jace had called in all military vessels in the sector. Three capital ships, including the Aegis, four hammerheads, six corvettes, 
and four support squads of eight Thunderclap fighters. The Empire was outgunned by a greater than three-to-one margin, but Chase wasn't taking any chances. If the Ascendant Spear was with him, the Empire had the edge. He had already given the commanders of the other capital ships the order to concentrate their fire exclusively on the Spear the instant it dropped from hyperspace, hoping to inflict some significant damage before Carid could activate her shields. At the same time, the rest of his fleet would focus on the Extempus and the remaining Imperials. The monitor began to flash with Imperial vessels blinking into existence on the scanner as they dropped out of hyperspace. The Hammerheads and Corvettes opened fire on the enemy, but per Jace's orders, the capital ships held off, waiting for the spear. The Extempus suffered several direct hits before its shields came up, giving it a momentary reprieve. A destroyer exploded as a lucky shot from one of the Corvettes ruptured the hypermatter core. The other destroyers, the Dreadnoughts and the Carrier, managed to escape significant damage in the initial assault. Jace continued to stare at the screen, trying to will the Ascendant Spear to materialize. The Thunderclaps dived into the fray, two squadrons swarming the Extempus, while the other two each went for one of the Dreadnoughts. The Corvettes descended on the Carrier, trying to disable it before it was able to deploy the Interceptors in its hold. Supreme Commander Jace! Admiral Gorwin radioed from one of the other capital ships. No sign of the Ascendant Spear. Permission to engage other targets. Permission granted, Jace growled, his hands gripping the arms of his command chair so hard his knuckles turned white. He turned to where Satil and Tepeth were standing in a corner of the bridge. Darth Carid is coming, the Jedi assured him. We can't wait any longer, Jace replied. Not if we want to minimize Republic casualties. He turned to the comm terminal that connected him to the other sections of the ship. Concentrate fire on the Extempus. Make Nezer pay for what he did to Ruan. The bridge of the Extempus was dark, lit only by the dim illumination of emergency lighting and the glow of the panels from the consoles that lined the perimeter. We just lost the Dravilla! His first officer informed him. Outside the viewing window, Moff Nezer could see the doomed destroyer as it was engulfed in a series of explosions. Shield status, he demanded. Under 20%. Nezer had come expecting a slaughter. He'd found one, but there was no denying he was on the wrong side. Even without the advantage of surprise, the Republic force he was facing would have crushed his fleet. But if he was going to die, it wouldn't be while attempting a retreat. Set a course for the nearest orbital city. Full speed ahead! The helmsman hesitated before a lifetime of Imperial training compelled him to obey the suicide order. Aye, aye, sir. If this was Nezer's final battle, he was going to take as many Republic lives with him as possible. Jay saw the Extempus change course and accelerate, though it took him a few seconds to realize what Nezer was planning. All ships, concentrate full fire on the Extempus, he shouted, transmitting his orders across the entire Republic fleet. They're trying to crash into the cities. Following his command, the entire Republic fleet, minus six fighters that were lost during the battle, disengaged from their targets and turned toward the Imperial flagship. Seeing the opportunity, the rest of the Imperial fleet began a full retreat in the opposite direction desperately trying to put enough distance between them and the Republic ships to safely activate their hyperdrives and escape with their lives. 
Karen braced herself for a moment of disorientation as the Ascendant Spear dropped out of hyperspace in the Duro system. Though it only took a fraction of a second for the sensors to adjust to the physical laws and dimensions of real space and come back online, in her state of heightened acuity, the delay felt like an eternity. The instant her hyperspace-induced blindness passed, however, she was immediately able to pinpoint the location of every ship across the entire battlefield. The spear had appeared well beyond the edges of the Duro system, rather than where she expected the Republic ambush would engage Nezer's fleet. The lifeless remains of several Imperial vessels floated silently in the distance. Beyond them, a single vessel, Nezer's Extempus, was racing toward Duro itself, with Republic ships giving chase. The surviving remnants of the Imperial fleet, a dreadnought, a destroyer, and a handful of interceptors, were headed in the opposite direction toward Carrot and the edges of the system. Facing overwhelming odds, they'd chosen to abandon their commander and flee the battle. Carrot's fingers tapped lightly at the control pad on the arm of her chair, sending signals shooting up the wires linked into her cybernetic implants and off to the ship itself. The Ascendant Spear responded to her commands by targeting the approaching Imperial vessels as they lowered their shields in preparation for the jump to hyperspace never suspecting one of their own would fire at them. The Spear's ion cannons tore into the defenseless ships, blasting them into cosmic dust as a reward for their cowardice. The Spear changed course as Karen sent it accelerating toward the Republic vessels. Still too far away for even her incomparable weapons, she targeted the enemy flagship and prepared to fire as soon as she got into range. Theron felt the spear drop from hyperspace, the screaming drive core mercifully winding down as it did. When the ship's sensors came online, he was already plugged in, lurking in the corners of the network just beyond Karen's consciousness. Even though he was receiving data in real time, he was still caught off guard when she fired on the advancing Imperial vessels. Not that he would have done anything to stop her even if he'd been expecting it, but the speed and precision with which she dispatched her targets reinforced his earlier fears that the spear was going to win the battle, despite his best efforts. He pushed the negative thoughts from his mind as Carrot advanced on the Republic fleet in the distance. His link to the ship gave Theron a rough idea of the Republic numbers, but the data was coming too quickly for him to fully process it. Not that it mattered. His attention needed to be focused on the internal workings of the spear if he had any hope of slowing Carrot down. As the targeting systems came online, Theron used his slicer spike to upload one of his virus subroutines, praying it would work. Nezer's desperate suicide run never had a chance, but that didn't keep Jace from cursing under his breath as the Republic fleet bombarded the Imperial flagship. When the Extempus's shields went down, exhausted by the constant barrage of enemy fire, he pumped his fist. A second later, he stood up and let out a primal victory roar as a series of explosions tore the vessel apart, eliminating the threat. Darth Carrot is here, Satil suddenly declared, abruptly ending his celebration. Jay slammed himself back into his chair, his eyes flicking back and forth over the screen depicting the battlefield. Where? I don't see it. A second later, a ship appeared on the very edge of scanner range and he didn't need the helmsman's confirmation to know it was the Ascendant Spear. Never in doubt, he heard Tepeth say, though it sounded more like she was speaking to herself. 
All ships, prepare for battle. He barked out. We do whatever it takes to bring the spear down. The ships and the fleet turned away from the smoking wreckage of the Extempus, carving a wide arc as they circled around to head in the opposite direction. The spear was closing on them fast, though it was still too far away to engage. Look at the size of that beast! The helmsman gasped as the sensors threw up the enemy vessel's dimensions on his readout. Shields up. Prepare to fire the second we come in range, Chase ordered knowing full well the Spear's guns would be able to tear them apart long before they ever got close enough to retaliate. Come on, Theron. Don't let us down. Sir, the helmsman warned. Enemy fire! Incoming! Brace for impact! Jay shouted as his screen showed the incoming ion blasts. He prayed the shields would hold, but to his surprise, the blast flew high and wide. She missed, the helmsman said, shocked. Flat out missed us. Target in range, the gunner told him. Jace bared his teeth in a fierce grin. Hit her back with everything we've got. Darth Carrot saw her shot miss its mark, but it took her a second to wrap her mind around what had happened. The target hadn't taken any evasive maneuvers or deflected the attack with shields. She had just missed. She ran a quick diagnostic check of her targeting array, only to find it was entirely miscalibrated. It only took her a few seconds to correct the mistake, but in that time the Republic vessels had come close enough to bring their own weapons to bear. Sensing the incoming fire, she redirected energy from the aft shields to reinforce the deflectors facing the advancing fleet. The incoming blasts were deflected harmlessly, and Carrot took aim for a second time, only to see her shot go wide yet again. As the Republic ships launched a second volley, Carrot reran the diagnostics on the targeting array, isolated another error, and adjusted for it. An instant before the second round of incoming Republic fire hit, the aft shield suddenly surged to full capacity, draining all power from the forward deflectors. Instead of being easily repelled, the laser bolts and ion blasts smashed into the spear's hull, making Carrot cry out in pain. The damage was significant and she tapped frantically at the control pad to reroute the affected systems through new relays and restore optimal efficiency, starting with the deflector shields. The Republic ships were fanning out as they drew closer, looking to surround her vessel so they could attack from all sides. Jared engaged the sublight thrusters and veered sharply to starboard, tilting the nose of the spear down at a 45-degree angle and accelerating far too quickly for the Republic vessels to keep up. She dived down and away, buying time to fix her malfunctioning systems. She saw the Republic vessels trying vainly to pursue her, and then suddenly they were gone, as the entire external sensor network went down. Completely blind to what lay outside her vessel, Kirin momentarily panicked, her arms flailing wildly and her head thrashing violently from side to side. The sensation of the wires connecting her to her ship, slapping against her face and shoulders, snapped her back to her senses. And in that instant, she felt him. An intruder. An interloper. A saboteur on her ship, slicing into her private network. The violation enraged her. Bellowing out a roar, Karen threw herself into the task of finding and destroying the enemy within. Her fury energized her, fueling the fires of the dark side that burned within her and her ship. 
Outside the crystal sphere of her command pod, she felt Lord Tux and Lord Ortiz nearly break from the increased strain, though her apprentice never wavered. But as close as they came to failing her, they somehow managed to stay in their meditative trance, allowing Kara to draw on their power to push herself and the spear far beyond their previous limits. Within seconds, she had rerouted all primary battle systems to new pathways, sealing off the old ones to isolate any potential viruses and keep them from spreading. The sensors came back online, as did the shields and her targeting array. Now that she knew the slicer was there, she was able to sense his next attack, disable it before it could take effect, and trace it back to its source. Security! To the engine room! She hissed into the pod's comlink. She realized the Slicer could probably hear her, but there was nothing she could do about it. The Slicer tried to disrupt another system, but now that she knew where the attacks were coming from, it was easy to keep them from doing any real harm. With the internal threat neutralized, she turned her attention back to the battle just in time to throw up her shields to ward off another attack. Her evasive maneuver had separated her from the Republic fleet, but they were closing in once again. She took aim at the closest vessel, one of the hammerheads, and fired. When the Ascendant Spear suddenly veered away from the fleet and took off in an unexpected direction, Jace knew they had Carrot on the run. She's vulnerable, he said. Finish her off, now! Every ship in the Republic fleet scrambled to intercept the enemy vessel on its new course. Emboldened by the misfiring guns and the failing shields, they came in hard and fast, looking to put a quick end to the battle. The Aegis fired again, as did many of the other vessels targeting the same location where they had pierced the shields and punctured the spear's hull in their previous attack. Rather than inflicting even more damage, the entirety of their attacks was deflected away. The guns of the spear opened fire again, but this time, instead of sailing wide, they scored a direct hit on one of the hammerheads. The combined power of the precisely aimed ion cannons and turbo lasers ripped through the shields and shredded the hammerhead, crippling the ship with a single devastating attack. Pull back, Jace ordered, realizing their advantage had been lost. Pull back and regroup. One of the corvettes was lost as the Republic fleet aborted its headlong charge, snuffed out by the spear's defense turrets when it got too close. Another blast from the ion cannons rocked the Aegis as it tried to retreat to a safe distance, sending Tepeth and Satil sprawling to the ground and nearly knocking Jace out of his command seat. Damage report! Shields took the worst of it. No critical systems hit. We've lost power to Sector 4. Medical teams are on their way. Shields? Down to 70%. Shields drained 30% from a single attack. Jace marveled. An instant later, he was hit with a sobering realization that they didn't stand a chance. War raged across the entire galaxy. The Republic had brought in only as many ships as were in the vicinity. Call for reinforcements, he said, knowing it would be hours before any ships stationed in other parts of the galaxy could reach them. Take evasive action, he ordered the rest of his fleet. Keep your distance. Even if they couldn't beat the spear, they could at least try to drag the battle out as long as possible to give Theron and Nostarol a chance to pull off a miracle. By the twin sons of Tatooine, that was so gripping, I swear I felt the hairs on my neck salute the stars. It's as if the very essence of the force is pulsating within me. 
or you know, it could be a healthy dose of adrenaline. Either way, it's Electrify. Can you feel it too? That unique jolt only a Star Wars story can offer? This segment did not disappoint, and my anticipation for what's next is sky high. But before we leave forward, let's dive into this episode's highlight, our signature quote. Today's wisdom from the galaxy is brought to you by Tephys. She said, Within every soul lies the power to fight the darkness and ignite the flames of hope. In the face of adversity, we discover our true strength and it unveils the limitless potential that resides within us. Let's dive in and break that down. Deep within each and every one of us, there's an unstoppable force that can defy the darkness and ignite a blaze of flame of hope. It's like having your very own lightsaber, ready to shine bright no matter how dim things may seem. Trust me, you got what it takes. Now here's the cool part. When life throws its wildest challenges your way, when you're facing the toughest trials and tribulations, that's when you truly discover your superpower. It's like you're a Jedi discovering your true strength in the heat of the battle. Adversity becomes a secret ingredient that unlocks your full potential, revealing the extraordinary capabilities you possess. Remember, you have the power to defy the darkness, unleash the hope, and become a hero of your own story. When you're faced with adversity, let your true strength shine through. For within you lies a wellspring of limitless potential. And you got this. Go out there and get it. And I think that's all I have for this episode. I hope you enjoyed part 10 of Annihilation, and I hope you will join me for part 11 in a few days. Until then, may the Force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and was distributed by Sway Cast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic Annihilation was read to you by Jason Odega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.